0: my entrepreneur journey was born. Now I am a people strategist and founder of Serve Recruitment Agency, a boutique recruitment firm that helps scaling companies hire aligned leaders for growth. In this podcast, I'm going to share about my business journey, entrepreneurship, leadership, and how hiring the right humans unlocks massive potential. Welcome to the show. Are you confused about hiring? You're not alone. Majority of leaders struggle to figure out who they need in what roles and when, and how these people will have the greatest impact on the growth of their business. This is why we created People Strategy Sessions to do a deep dive into your business and help you build a clear roadmap on the talent you need to drive sustainable growth. We dive into your greater why, where you are today in your business, where you want to go in your business from a growth standpoint, and ultimately who do you need to enable that growth overall? For more information, please send an email to Jackie at JackieService.com or feel free to reach out at jackieservice across all platforms. Welcome back to another episode of the Jackie Service Show. This one is going to be a lot of fun, my friends. I have a partner and somebody that I have been doing business with for over a year on the show today, Mr. Shane Hips. Welcome to the show.
1: Greetings. Thanks for having me.
0: So excited about this one. We are coming today to kick off a brand new series that we are going to bring to you, which is all about the founder's dilemma. We will get into specifics around what we see in the marketplace with what we do in terms of what the what the founder's dilemma really is. And what's exciting is we're actually going to bring some different founders into the podcast with us to have real live conversations about the different challenges, the different mindset hacks, things that they're working through internally in their own development as well. But before we get there, so Shane and I have been partners working together for the last year really in the space of people. So I will have Shane introduce himself in a minute. But from my perspective, Shane is one of the, like a world-renowned executive coach, works with all sorts of leaders in different industries and really helps them from a mindset standpoint, breaking through a lot of the dilemmas that they're facing. Not only does he do that kind of from a mindset standpoint, but he also really breaks it down into being operational. And so I have talked on this podcast podcast at length about talent really being How are we attracting, developing, and retaining great humans in our organizations? My focus is much more on the attract side with the executive recruiting side of the business. What Shane is very gifted at is really helping thinking about the development and the retention of great talent once you bring them into the business. So Shane, I will hand it over to you to do a quick intro of your journey and yourself of how you've gotten there, but it is just such an honor and a privilege to get to call you a friend and also somebody that I get to do business with as well.
1: Absolutely. It's been an amazing year. I've really enjoyed it. Um, You're just so magical. Anytime uh, for years when I would coach clients, I was always like, well, you need a person. And I never, ever had a recruiter that I fully trusted. So I was, they were, I was called telling them like they just need to go find a recruiter and help them hire someone. And I never felt great about it. And as soon as I met you and we started working together, I just, as you know, I've been pretty much every client I have, I'm like, you need to talk to Jackie. Jackie's the one you get So uh, And we've just had a lot of success. It's been amazing. So loving that. Um, my background, I started a career. I was in advertising, I helped launch Porsche's SUV to North America. I was all about communication and stuff like that. Uh, then I- went on and did what every ad guy does. I went to seminary and I got a master's of divinity, which is the the greatest overstatement of a degree you could possibly have. I've mastered the divine, uh, which is uh, what you get if you're going to be a pastor. And I became a pastor. I became a Mennonite pastor. And then I that was a church of about 300 in Phoenix. Uh, and then I became a, a pastor of a church of about six to 8,000 in Michigan, what we call a mega church, affectionately, which is uh, now your listeners, half of them have now stopped listening. The other half are more interested. So I found it's quite a polarizing uh, <laughs> thing to be. Um, so I spent a few years uh, leading a very large community of faith. And um, then after a few years of that, I started getting contacted by people who were listening to the sermon podcast. So mm-hmm. we had maybe 30,000 people that would listen to that every week from around the world. And uh, they these CEOs wanted to talk to me. And I took these calls. And as we would talk, one of the things that became really clear to me was that leading a corporation was operationally more complex than leading a church, even a really big one by a factor of a thousand. It was just so complex, but they weren't really dealing with operational business problems. They were really struggling with human problems. And the more we talked, the more I learned that the higher they get an organization, the less their problems are actually business problems. And the more their challenges are human problems. And that's when I realized as we talked that leading and running a church uh, is emotionally and from a human standpoint, more complex by that same factor of a thousand. And the reason is because you always have two conversations going on and one is hidden and is the real conversation in the church world. And the other is open and is not the real conversation. And now that may sound strange. So an example would be in the church world or in communities of faith, this also happens by the way, in government. Um, there's always uh, a whitewashing of motivations. There's a, I want to do this because I just want to serve Jesus. And in reality, you can feel sense and see that that's not the real reason they want to do it. There's really an ego investment or there's maybe a little bit of revenge and anger at somebody. There could be other nefarious things going on because they're humans, right? And when I started talking to business leaders and leaders in the the, uh, corporate context, what was so fascinating is they would, they would reveal to me the real conversation. They were like, I want more money, power, or influence. And you're like, you just played all your cards. Like, we don't have to play three-dimensional chess. I'm allowed to, this is like checkers. And so the interventions that I would bring to the business world had this great impact. It quite candidly surprised me. And uh, the leaders of the organizations were like, this is great. We want to keep doing this. And so over time, I left that and 2013, I started doing this full-time with leaders from all kinds of companies. So I've worked with leaders that came from Apple, Amazon, Samsung, CIA, all kinds of different places. And um, But I love, love working with um, founders of companies. I think that's one of the most exciting things. So there's a lot that can happen in those big complex systems, which is really great, but I love working with founders. And so there you go. Is that enough?
0: Love it. Yeah. Wrote a few you got books it. too. I
1: don't think that matters. But.
0: Yeah, and we'll link all that up. We'll make sure that we get you access to Shane and how to find Shane and all of the resources he has out there. Um as we level set into this conversation, one of the questions I want to ask you is when I say the words founders dilemma, what shows up for you? What do you see with founders that you're having conversations with? What are the dilemmas that they're really faced with in today's ecosystem in business?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think probably the at the heart of the founder's dilemma is really trying to understand what it is they're great at, passionate about, and should continue doing, and what it is they're really not good at, not qualified for, and shouldn't be doing. And so, one of the most powerful differentiators that I see when I'm working with a founder is to help them understand that while you may be authorized to make certain decisions, are you actually qualified? And that's not something that many people ask themselves. They think because I have the role and because I'm at the top, I'm effectively authorized to make all the decisions for the entire business, and, and therefore I should. And the reality is, there's a whole lot of things you're just not qualified to do. And I learned this powerfully from um, the chairman of a Fortune 50 company. And he had hired a, he was the chairman of a manufacturing business that was selling products into retail stores. And they hired a CEO from one of those massive retail stores to lead this manufacturing company. And within the first six months, he was making all kinds of critical mistakes and the chairman had to take him aside and say hey you're not qualified to make the decisions you're making and it was a huge light bulb that went off for this guy and so what we did is we we sort of began to partition what are the things that you need to focus on that you're qualified to do that you care about that only you can do and what are all these other things that you can't do that you shouldn't do I mean you can do but you shouldn't do um, how do you then, delegate, automate, outsource, hire a coach for, how do you make sure that you can have that done for you? So in my mind, that's the heart of the founder's dilemma. Mm,
0: I love that. And when we're talking about founders, we can give maybe even some real life um, scenarios here to kind of pull that together, to pull this string together a little bit more as well. One of the one of the kind of groups of people that Shane and I work with a lot are founders of growth and innovative companies. So let's let's give you kind of some context. Um, you know, they may be a tech organization that is growing and scaling. You have 50 employees. You've run a couple of different investment rounds, and let's say you know right now you're somewhere between kind of 10 to 25 million and growing and constantly thinking about that that growth. Oftentimes that happens very quickly or that can happen very quickly where it almost feels like light bulb moments go off or a switch turns on, or now things start working after so many years of really trying to get the puzzle pieces together, the foundation set. uh, There can be these moments within founders um, experiences where like light switches go off or these, these dials really come on board. And all of a sudden you know, we're drinking from a fire hose. What felt what felt digestible a couple of weeks prior now feels like overwhelm and we're getting close to hitting those stages of burnout. And I loved how you really broke that down to authorized or qualified because if we pull at that string a little bit more, you'll start to really identify in a custom way for each founder that there are very specific areas within a lens of business that they are incredibly gifted at. And if we could put more resources and more time against that gifting, the unlocks within leadership and the unlocks within this organization are going to be so substantial in comparison to watering it down by having a founder that is 25% of, you know, doing 25% of his day with what he's gifted at. And the other 75% of what he's not gifted at or she becomes even heavier. Right. Because the amount of time, energy, resources you're putting on even just thinking about the work you don't want to do is significant as well. So I just want to kind of paint a story a little bit around, you know, different founders that we've worked with, that we've really kind of cracked the code with or helped them through this through this journey with when we think about the founder's dilemma and give some reference to when we're talking about a founder, founder could be multiple different organizations or, or stages within a business. But in one example, this was kind of a founder that that we went into, um, Shane and I. I'd love to even maybe just pull out this story a little bit of this particular situation is once we were able to identify the gifting of this particular founder, what were some of the unlocks or, or like value add that you saw in terms of once they spent more time just focused on what they were gifted at, what actually happened within the organization? What were the outcomes?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, so just to provide a little context, this, this founder was masterful at fundraising and had a clear sense of vision and had all the network and relationships. He had almost no experience historically in operating a company. And as a consequence, the thing is when you get really, really smart people and people who are usually founders are generally really smart people they have a tendency to assume that they can kind of figure out most things and they they feel a sense of responsibility that they are supposed to figure out these things and this person was trying his best to operate the business and he, he hired me because he was like i don't know what i'm doing I, and as we worked together i realized yeah there's a huge learning curve he's going to have to go through but very quickly i saw and i told him i'm like You can go ahead and learn all this stuff if you want. It's not really what you're here for. That's not the best use of your gifts and talents. Your gifts are to unlock a lot of money for this business, to tell the story of this business and leverage all these relationships. We just need to hire somebody who can do the operating. And he's like, huh, oh, that Huh? well, that's I don't know. Is that really necessary? Do I need to? (laughs) I'm like, at your scale, I'm telling you, your world is going to change. And he was burned out and he was fried and he was overwhelmed. And I just kept saying, So we built the whole thing. We sat down and we wrote down, what are all the things that you're actually not qualified? And he didn't know what he wasn't qualified for because he hadn't been in this role before. So I had to tell him like, well, what you're trying to meddle with here, there's a whole body of knowledge and a whole lot of people that get trained for years and how to run this part of that business. It's no different than like finance or marketing or that there's a world, a whole world of expertise that Mm -hmm. um, does this for you. And I would say it was hard to convince, but we finally got him there and he went and we, you know, worked with you and you brought in this phenomenal operator, came as the COO. And I would say it took a good 90 days before the CEO was, and the founder was like, yeah, this is great. We're now almost a year later. And he was just like, I sat in our most recent all hands meeting. And all I've been doing is Been out of the office raising money. I haven't even been touching base. I mean, I touched base with him, of course, but I'm not involved in the day-to-day at all anymore, which is liberating and wonderful. But he said, I sat there and I watched him, the COO, present where the company was a year later. And he's just like, 'I, I couldn't even fathom how we would get there. I wouldn't know how to do any of the stuff that he built. And we are way ahead of where I would have been. And I wished to God that I'd hired him three years before. And so that was a recent conversation that we just had. And, and it was, it was uh, gratifying, but, but um, it's the story that I see over and over again. And so um, that's my encouragement. If you're a founder and you're listening to this and you're overwhelmed and you're burned out, um, start asking the question, what am I actually qualified to do?
0: Mm. I love that so much. That's such a beautiful filter for people to actually put that on. And I think to your point, there's some situations where you don't know what you don't know. And so, this is where uh, even in my own learning of growing my own business, asking for help to have somebody come in that has expertise to help guide that conversation, which hint, hint is Shane Hips. If you don't know him, now you do. Um, And and to uh, to have somebody come in and actually walk you through that type of exercise. And really help you get clear on your greatest gift and how that gift can really transcend organizations and really help unlock the greatest potential, not just for the founder, but for everyone else involved in the company as well, which is such a gift. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you, when we talk about the heart of the issues, I can't miss talking about mindset and how sometimes ego can show up in the founder's dilemma when we feel like I hear language like, I feel like I should do that. I feel like I'm responsible for this. How have you navigated some of the mindset conversations with founders who have struggled to let go of some of the areas where maybe they are unqualified for?
1: Um, Yeah, it's a series of conversations that Uh, is designed to get leaders and more in touch with reality. So when we think about um, the way leaders relate to their world, they have a narrative that they developed about what's going on in the business and how things are going and what's happening and what's not happening and who's performing and who's not performing. And so every time I start working with a leader, I'll do a 360 on them. And I start with the leader and I ask them, tell me the story of what's going on. And they'll tell me, well, this is going where this is happening. That person's no good. This person's amazing. I'm loving that. I don't know what's going on there. And they'll go through and tell me the story. And then I'll go around and I'll interview all the key stakeholders. And invariably, the story of the CEO and the story of various stakeholders are not the same. The CEO is not flying at the airspeed and the altitude that they thought they were. And so the first conversation is almost always around, and it's not to say that the stakeholders have the end-all-be-all truth. It's that the stakeholders help um amend the story, broaden the story, open the story so that they know they're closer to reality. And so that's the first thing I do is I help them begin to go, okay, your airspeed is this and your altitude is this, not what you thought it was. And sometimes you're going higher, sometimes you're faster, sometimes you're slower, but what you're doing is you're getting calibrated to what you really are, what your reality is. And Almost any time I work with a founder, there are certain different personalities that have different issues, right? So some personalities are going to be really resistant and entrenched to this. And so that's a different series of conversations where you're basically trying to help them consider possibilities. Others are much more open and receptive, in which case the move to a new reality is much faster. And so I I can't say that the, the only tool that I know I use every time is really a 360. And then the other tool I love to use is the Enneagram, which is kind of a shortcut to what are the the lenses that we will automatically use to tell the story? And uh, so it's a, it's a shortcut to that self-awareness that I think is probably the biggest thing that all leaders need. And it's really hard to get without a mirror. So that's the second thing I'll say. And the 360 is designed to do this along with a coach. And that is leaders every day look into a funhouse mirror. And that funhouse mirror distorts who they are reflecting back. And that distortion may make them look a lot taller and more muscular than they are, or it might make them look a lot squattier and fat and weird than they are. Uh, That's the funhouse mirror that all leaders have. And the the reason that all leaders are looking into a funhouse mirror is that all of the people around them that are below them have a power differential. And in any hierarchical system, that power differential distorts information and feedback. It just has to, it's just built in. So what I serve as for leaders is a flat mirror. I can give you the actual reflection based on my years of expertise and experience, the feedback and input from team members that can give you a much more coherent picture of who you really are. Why that matters is that's like finding the you are here dot on a map. Mm. If you don't have the you are here dot on a map, a map is useless you will have no idea whether you should go left or right or anything. So that's always the first step is to triangulate. I use the 360, I use the Enneagram, I use my own expertise, and I get someone, the you are here dot, and I get them a flat mirror so that they see themselves accurately.
0: Oh, I love that so much. It really is so true in my own experience, uh, having sat in different roles in corporate America and then uh, also um, running my own business Self-awareness is everything, right? Having an awareness, even just the awareness of that feedback loop is so critical and important because the narrative and the story that I'm telling is through the lens I'm looking through. And often that lens may be filtered in some way, shape, or form, as you just mentioned with the funhouse mirror. And how do we break my own paradigm or my own filter to actually give real-time feedback in terms of how I'm being perceived in the world. What is what is the perception of the world? And even though the stakeholders may not know the end-all be-all, they're giving you real feedback of what they're perceiving. And that perception is in, in a lot of ways, their reality. And so when you start to see that and paint the picture, and and I know you're masterful at the debrief of these assessments is so key and critical to be able to trend up like here are the things that we're actually seeing that aren't aligned and how do we start to really paint the picture of of a reality for you so that we can continue Mm -hmm. to move forward but the you are here dot is that one sticking with me shane i love that
1: Well, I think the other thing that leaders may not realize is uh, like, what's really funny to me is, um, very few leaders are kept up at night and, and wringing their hands and worried about, do I have enough self-awareness? Like it's a really weird kind of thing, right? So when we say like, oh, self-awareness is key, people are like, "Eh, okay, sure. Yeah, fine. Whatever. I need to be self-aware. Got it. Um, but it's not keeping them up at night. What I want to make sure the listeners understand is that there is a direct link between your understanding of your unique gifts and your unique limits that directly translates to how well your team executes your vision. And what we find is leaders with low levels of self-awareness have a much more confusing and difficult time understanding why the team doesn't get them and the team isn't executing the way they need them to. And those leaders that have really high self-awareness end up with people that are far more able to execute and understand the leader better, which is another common thing. I I find leaders find two, two primary experiences. One- why isn't my team executing the way I need them to at the level that I need them to? What, what's happening? Where's the, where's the block? Why isn't it working? And two, um, I feel like, and it's related, I feel like they don't really understand me. Like when I say this, they hear that. Why is there this misunderstanding and either assigning motives I don't have or applying things that I don't think or how did this happen? Um, it, it really does start with get in touch with reality, generate some self-awareness, and then we can start to translate much of it automatically. Like, yeah, there are techniques and things that I teach and show, but sometimes it's literally just automatic. The moment a leader comes online and has this deep awareness of oneself without any judgment, by the way, that's the other powerful thing. When you can become more conscious of who and what you are without thinking yourself greater or worse than you actually are with that low judgment, you become really, really effective as a leader.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that so much. I'm curious for you, when we think back to, gosh, the hundreds and hundreds of conversations you've had with different leaders and founders that come to you with some form of dilemma, Mm -hmm. usually when an executive coach is getting involved, there's some form of like, hey, I'm working through this and I'd love to pick your brain, or I'd love to you know have somebody in my corner or my support system that can actually help me outside of these walls with unbiased view are things i've heard frequently when i'm talking to executives who say that, that they have an executive coach and why they they brought that coach on when you think about the amount of conversations you've had how many boil down to being in the category within business of being a people issue so whether that's a leadership issue, uh, a, a talent issue, a culture issue, a um, developmental issue for staff, retention issues for staff—like when we think about people as a category within a business, how many would you say actually boil down to being a people issue?
1: <laughs> What's well, a, it's a weird, uh, it's a it's hard for me to answer the question because I I I don't see an organization is anything other than people so it's you know it <laughs> like like i go well 100% of it is about people at least at the level that i'm dealing with you know so um i don't know if that answers your question but i i It's hard for me to understand what wouldn't be about people. Even when people are having debates about which technology to deploy in this part of their business, what you're dealing with is the narrative that each person brings to this experience. You're dealing with this complex emotional system of ambition and fear and anxiety and hope and need, and all of that is hidden below the surface, and nobody's actually having that conversation. So most of what I deal in is that domain, which obfuscates and obscures the decision-making process. And when you begin to clear out and clarify that underlying emotional system, and you get clear on exactly who needs what, why, where, and how, and you do that through a series of conversations, then people start making much better decisions instead of having decisions that are made through unconscious powers within the system. I don't know if that answered your question, but...
0: It 100% answered my question. I was curious. <laughs> we I've never asked you that question before, yeah. And yet, just from my own truth, would be also 100%. And so, I was curious to see where you would come at through the lens of, at the core, every business we're running is a people business. There are other aspects within a business that that help us be very successful. Whether that be Um, the financial side of business or systems or processes, et cetera, technology. It's all very much inclusive. But when you look at the core of it, it's the people running those or the people making the decisions against those that ultimately create the business and the ecosystem. So that was more of a curious question. And for a founder that's listening in who may be trying to think through like, hey, what are the things that are, are keeping me up at night? often we can keep it often conversations i hear is maybe it is money maybe there's a belief that money or raising capital is the thing that's keeping a founder up at night if you were to go into an environment with that founder who's like hey i'm trying to keep the lights on and financials is a big is a big issue for my organization right now how do i work through that what are some of the questions you might ask that might unlock something for that founder who can't connect that that actually could be a people issue that the the yeah. whole idea of, of fundraising or money is is the issue at this point.
1: One of the founders I'm working with right now. I mean, uh, at the time of this recording, this is one of the most challenging fundraising periods in history. We've we've not seen anything quite like this in a long time. So this is crazy. Um, and most of my coaching conversations with him are around fundraising. And the reason that that's still fundamentally a people issue is that the only tool. Any leader has, whether you're the CEO and you're raising funds, you're managing down or across, it doesn't really matter. The only tool you have is your language. It's your the conversations you need to have in written or spoken. And every word we speak has the potential to close people down or open people. So one of the reasons that a lot of, there are a number of people that do what I do that also came out of marketing like I did is because marketing and leadership have language at their primary center. And that language is designed to move and influence people. And so when you understand that and make that translation, a huge part of what I'm doing, and I'll be sitting with a leader and we will be drafting a a one sentence email (laughs) to try to get access to funding because he needs to know what's the strategy. How are we going to have this conversation? What word should I be using? What word shouldn't I be using in order to get access to this? Because ultimately he's not dealing with the technical aspect of finance. He's dealing with, how do I get someone's attention? How do I get someone past their own fear that in this VC company, um, they're busy trying to manage their own status within that company? And how do I make sure that the way I'm positioned is going to shake hands with their own ambition and goals and hopes and dreams and fears within this VC company? So what you're dealing with isn't even finance. You're dealing with humans who have fears, and wants, and needs, and anxieties, and pathologies. Uh, people with lots of money are often, not often, sometimes will have undiagnosed pathologies. <laughs> and So the, the founders will be dealing with super rich people who are generally not healthy psychologically. And so how do you navigate that when somebody's got narcissistic tendencies or whatever? All of that is people. And so um, What I often tell leaders when I'm working with them is, hey, whatever world you came up through, whatever you were trained in, engineering, software, marketing, sales, finance, that got you into this role, that was your mastery and expertise. There's a huge body of knowledge you had to master in order to be effective in that domain. Well, now that you're in leadership, your fundamental primary domain is now people. And there is as large a body of knowledge around the subtleties of leading people as there is finance or engineering. And it is really interesting how few people realize that that's a body of knowledge they need to learn. Most people assume they can reverse engineer it because they're a person and they've been with people and they've been managed. And so they'll just reverse engineer it and do what their leader did that they liked and not do the things they didn't like. And then they're kind of there. Um, and I, I just haven't seen it be effective. So people need to learn that body of knowledge.
0: I love that. Thank you for pulling that string. I just wanted the founder who was listening to say, what, people's not my issue. It's a money issue at this point to hear right. how it actually is interconnected to the depth of people. And that when we become leaders, it really truly is always back to people. And it can be communicative often with our words, but where is that interconnect, interconnectedness Um, was really what I wanted to pull the string at, so that whoever was listening that says, oh, that's that's not relevant for me. Well, wait, let's just pull that a little bit so that you can see how that actually correlates and transcends down. I love that. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, Curious question, because you just talked about leadership and the transition from functional expertise into leadership and would love to just pick your brain on that transition for a moment. I have worked with different founders who were let's go in the tech space specifically, very, very highly successful developers Mm -hmm. and very knowledgeable in that space of development. And then have made that step change into being CEO of the company because of the company taking off and getting traction and success. What are some of the key pieces of advice or or tools you leverage in order to transition somebody from being a functional expertise deep in their function to truly stepping into CEO or founder seats? What does that conversation look like with you?
1: Um, Almost always, I am introducing them to the power of this thing I call the emotional system. So when you go from being a functional expert You are in what what we call a skill-centric stage of consciousness, meaning you have developed mastery of bits and bytes, whatever those bits and bytes are. Not literally software, but it could be software. What you're doing is you're perfecting and comparing everything. So engineers, attorneys, accountants, finance professionals, uh, these are all people that are perfecting a craft and it is less dependent on humans and it's more dependent on your ability to execute something. What happens when you step from just one layer up into being responsible for other human beings to do the work that you used to be doing um, is you now enter a completely different career. You are no longer a software professional. You are now a professional manager. And uh, some people may scoff at that, but that's actually what's happening. Now, you need to have mastery of that technical craft. That's the table stakes. That's what gets you in the role. But your job changes completely, and now your job should be aware of one simple truth. 80% of what drives behavior and decision-making in individuals and in a team is governed by the emotional system. The emotional system is defined very simply as how I feel about the work I'm doing and how I feel about the people I work with and for. Those two things will drive how people perform. So if I hate my job and I think it's tedious and boring and pointless, and I don't see how what I'm doing is actually contributing to any greater whole, uh, or I feel like every solution I come up with is shot down and therefore I'm not being heard, um, guess what? What do you think is going to happen to performance in a team when they feel that? You don't need research to prove it. There is research to prove it, but none of us need the research. Like when I feel bad about what I'm doing, I'm going to do a worse job or I'm not going to do it. If I don't like my boss, if I think my boss doesn't respect me, if I don't think my boss connects to me, I'm going to potentially unconsciously collude against him or her. So there's that relationship. So all that to say, so much of what I teach when I'm working with a manager or a leader is I'm introducing them to this phenomenon of the emotional system. And while it's complex, these solutions are actually quite simple. And they're born of very specific language patterns. So we come back to language and communication. This is how you unlock the emotional system and you begin to move with it and influence it rather than it influence you. And so those that are listening, you can do a quick little assessment of yourself and ask yourself, where you live in relationship to this thing called the emotional system. The emotional system, imagine it's like an iceberg. It's 80% below the surface. You can't see most of it. And then you have the 20% above the surface, which is the job, the tasks, the responsibilities, the accountabilities, all the things that we do day in and day out. That's that 20%. Some leaders tend to be completely out of touch with and unaware of the emotional system and what, what the point of it even is. They don't notice it and they will often be quite surprised when things don't go the way they want they'll be like i told them to do this why aren't they doing this i don't get the disconnect why are we not executing and the reason is because they are unaware of the words they speak and the wake that their boat leaves behind emotionally in that system and so uh, they're like a huge yacht going through a small harbor no awareness that their wake is destroying the boats and docks in their in their path. Then on the other extreme, I work with some leaders that are completely immersed in the emotional system. They swim in the depths. They feel every last little movement of every last person's emotional whim, and those emotions affect them. And they start to respond to and bend and weave and bob with all of these waves that are moving. And uh, while that doesn't leave a wake of destruction, what it does leave is a lack of clarity. It's harder for that leader to get up above the waves and go, okay, I feel the waves. I see the waves. I know they're happening, but I'm going to plot a course anyway. Mm-hmm. And some people are going to like it and some people aren't going to like it. And I'm going to navigate that anyway. Uh, so those are kind of two extremes. So if you're listening, ask yourself, maybe you've got a little bit of both in you, but uh, usually you're going to be closer to one than the other.
0: I love that great analogy to be able to see. I literally see the yacht coming in and the wake that it's leaving behind and those that have the awareness and those that are kind of dancing and teetering. I would have said in my in my leadership background in corporate America, I would have much more been the dancer. I would have been dancing and feeling a lot of the emotions and swaying Some may call that a people pleaser, right? There was a bit of a chameleon act that would come out within my leadership where internally I felt like I had clarity and clear direction, but how I was projecting that outwards and or even in my communication was not as clear as I thought it was. Hence those 360 feedback loops being so important to really shining that light on those. So I love that. Thank you for that clarity. Mm. Beautiful. So as we wrap today, because this is just the beginning for Shane and I, we are really committed to having conversations around this founder's dilemma and really piercing open different, uh, for a founder, piercing open different possibility, different conversations, inviting you into the conversation as we have it with all sorts of different founders um, over the next few months here. To the founder that's listening, Shane, what advice or from your heart, what would you say to them? If they are staying up at night, they're feeling the stress of the world, they're burnt out. What's your message to that founder? I think
1: I I know that when I was in in kind of roles where all the weapons were pointed at me, I, I genuinely felt like misunderstood, I, and I and I feel like a lot of leaders that I work with feel misunderstood. They get a lot of arrows, and th- there's something really strange that happens, which is like, well, they're in a position of power and influence, so they can take the arrows and we're going to, we're going to fire on them. Um, And so I guess I want you to know you're not alone. And, um, and it is absolutely crucial for you to find places and, or people to help you remove the arrows and heal those things because they do begin to chip away at your effectiveness and leadership. So the simple message to you as a founder is You should care as much about your emotional system personally as you do the people you lead. So ask yourself the question, how do I feel about the work I'm doing right now? If you are sick of it and tired of it, if you are feeling desperate and irritated and frustrated, then pay attention to that and start to tend to it. It matters a lot. How you feel matters a lot. If you are loving it, if you're feeling really alive and you're feeling catalyzed and you're feeling motivated, great. Pay attention to that. And in both cases, ask yourself this simple question. What contributes most to the way that I feel? What, what, are, what is going on that is contributing most to the way I feel? It could be external faster factors that are contributing to that, or it could be the story you tell yourself about those factors that is contributing the most in either case, knowing what contributes to how you feel is the beginning of your wisdom and the beginning of great leadership. So that's my advice to them.
0: Shane, I could talk to you all day. I'm just (laughs) absorbing all of this in myself. And I feel like so much wisdom has even come through this and the founders that are listening, you are not alone. That was my message as well, is I know in my experience, often we feel alone and that we don't have support systems and unbiased perspective that we can just get when needed. And if anything, this message is you're not alone. These are some great tools and resources that Shane's given you. But also ask the question, who do you want to call in? to your network? Who do you want to call into your support system so that your ecosystem is growing with the right support around you so that you know that you're not alone in this endeavor and in this founder's journey that you're on? Shane, what is the best way for people to contact you, reach out to you, learn more about all the resources you have available?
1: Uh, I mean, you can find me on all the social media stuff, Shane Hips, H-I-P-P-S. Um, and uh, my website, shanehips.com. And then if you want to email me, you can go shane at shanehips.com and I can be reached that way. And I'm happy to chat with any of you if you need need to have a conversation.
0: Beautiful. We'll make sure to link everything up in the show notes so that you have access to Shane and all of his incredible resources. If something landed with you today, we would love to hear it. Feedback is so important to us. So please share with us what landed, what resonated and what you're taking away. And until next time, we'll see you again. On the Jackie service show. Thank you for listening in to today's show. If there was a key message that landed with you, please share or send us a direct message on Instagram at Jackie service. And let us know. We love hearing from you also to continue to keep this podcast growing. It would mean the world. If you could take a minute and like, and rate the show or share it with a friend, our team is forever grateful until next time. We'll see you again on the Jackie service show.